Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. Are, are you as amazed as I am at how far we've come in our ability to uh, communicate with one another long distance? I mean, telephones have just advanced beyond anybody's anything that we could have imagined, at least when I was a kid. Uh, when I was a real little kid, we still had party lines. Anybody remember party lines? Yeah, for those of you who have no idea what that is, you would pick up the phone and there would be people talking on it. And, and, and you would just, you could call through, but it was a party line. And then you got private lines and that was cool. I still remember the first time I saw a car phone. It was a rotary dial telephone sitting on a console in a car. Imagine if there was an answering machine on that car phone. It says, hi, you've reached my car phone. I can't answer because I'm home. <laughs> Call me when I'm out and we'll chat. And then, the, and then mobile phones. Mobile phones have, I mean, they, you remember the first mobile phones? These giant walkie-talkie-like things that we, people used to carry around. Huge batteries. And then they got smaller and smaller and smaller. And then... Who remembers Dick Tracy when they were kids? And, and Dick Tracy, would, he would talk into his watch. And now we have Apple Watches. Who has Apple Watches? Everybody, not everybody. But pe yeah, people have Apple. I mean, the, the speed at which communications has improved is nothing less than miraculous. And of course, as I was thinking about this week and working through this passage in, uh, uh, in Hebrews, I couldn't help but think about how we approach God and how, we, how, the, uh, how, the, how the Jewish people of old approached God uh, through temple worship and through the, through, the, through the work of the priests and what we are able to do today. The improvement, the, 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 the open access that we have to God through prayer because of Jesus is nothing less than miraculous. And we think about how far we have come in our telecommunication. God was 2,000 years ahead of the game. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open them to the ninth chapter of the book of Hebrews. We talked about last week uh, that uh, the author of Hebrews uh, was really challenging the reader uh, to go deeper in their faith, to move beyond the, the ABCs, to recognize that there's some meaty stuff uh, that, that we as believers need to deal with. And, and now and then, we need to do deep dives. We need to, we need to go into the deep end of the pool to, to really wrestle with our theology and, and understand what's going on. And uh, uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 7, 6, 7, uh, 8, 9... Uh, uh, 10. This is, this is heavy-duty stuff. We're, this is heavy-duty stuff. This is not lightweight. This is not Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And that's all true. I don't, I don't want to take anything away from that. But as we wade into the deeper stuff, it's important for us to really wrap our minds around these, these, these concepts so that we really know what we believe and that what we believe impacts our lives. Today, so much of people's lives 
impact and dictate what they believe. We are told to let our lives be dictated by what we believe. And this is especially true within the Christian faith. As G.K. Chesterton noted, Christianity, the principles of Christianity have not been tried and found lacking. They've been found difficult and left untried. Last week, we looked at this eighth chapter talking about this new covenant, this better covenant that God had established. It was a covenant, and just to, to reiterate this, it is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, declares the Lord, when I will put my law in their hearts and minds. I will be their God, they will be my people. No longer will, uh, will a person teach a neighbor or, or, or a person, a sibling, saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of these to the greatest. I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete is aging and will soon disappear like the rotary telephone. So now we come into chapter 9. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship. And also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room, there were lampstands, the table, the, the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had a golden altar of incense and a gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were cherubim of glory, overshadowing the, the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people, the, the, the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. This is an illustration for our present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. We juxtapose the Old Covenant with the New Covenant. Recognizing that the New Covenant is better. But I want to take a step back as we, as, we, as we think about these verses to remember what that covenant was all about and the different pieces 
that consisted of that covenant and what it meant for the, for the, for the first people to truly worship God. What was worship all about? And what is worship about for us today? God entered into a covenant relationship with Israel. And I love that, I love that image as they, as they come to the foot of the mountain. God has brought Israel out of slavery, brought them to the foot of the mountain, and basically says to them, you're free to go. I brought you out of slavery because I love you. If you want to hang in there with me, I'll covenant with you. I will create of you a nation of priests. A nation of priests. And we'll do some pretty cool stuff together. And they say, we're in. And once they say we're in, God says, okay, this is what the covenant is going to look like. And he gives them the Ten Commandments. So recognize that, uh, that grace preceded the law. He brought them out of Egypt. And then once they were there, once they agreed to enter into this covenant, that's when he gives them the law. And that law is a, is a moral and ethical platform. It teaches us how we are to relate to God and how we are to relate with one another. But the other part of the covenant was this huge sacrificial system that was set up. It's almost as if God knew, and of course God did know, we didn't know, the people didn't know. I'm going to give you this moral and ethical platform, but you're not going to be able to do it on your own. And you're going to try, and you're going to fail, and sometimes you're not going to try at all. Because there's this constant tugging within us that wants to make up the rules. I want to decide. We're no different than Adam and Eve in the garden. We, we think we know better. And so you have this system of sacrifices that's set up that, that, I, that I believe is designed to help us recognize the cost of sin in our lives. So you have these two aspects of the covenant, this, this moral and ethical platform and this system for, for atoning uh, for the sin when it crops up in your lives. And that happens over and over and over and over and over and over again. Pastor John talked about that a few weeks ago. He, he, re, he referred to it as Groundhog Day. And if nothing changes, nothing changes. But at just the right time, at just the right time, the incarnation happens. And Jesus enters onto, the, enters onto the stage of history and shows us the face of God and teaches us how to live within that moral platform surrounded by a measure of grace, forgiveness, at a whole new level begins to emerge. And then he does the unthinkable. He goes to the cross and he dies for our sins. But then the, the same power that was at work within him during his earthly ministry raises him from the dead. And it's that power, the Holy Spirit, that raises Jesus from the dead that works in us to transform us into his image. He ascended into the heavens where he rules supreme over all the universe until that day when he shall return to right every wrong, straighten every crooked path, and heal all that is broken.
And we long for that day. We're there, the already but not yet. We have received the gift of redemption. And now we find ourselves in a period of restoration. And it's the restoration that's going on in our own hearts, in our own souls. So we look at this passage and, and, and the first five verses, and I have to chuckle. Now, the first covenant had regulations for worship, also an earthly sanctuary, a tabernacle that was set up. When I first read this, I, I couldn't help but wonder, why are they referring to the tabernacle? This was the portable thing that they put together when they were still in the wilderness until they had entered into the promised land, and David had secured the, the area and, 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 and then made it possible for them for his son Solomon to build this magnificent temple. And of course, we know that temple was destroyed, but it was rebuilt. And in their time, Herod's temple, and at this time, Herod's temple still stood. They were still engaging in sacrificial worship. So why doesn't the author of Hebrews refer to contemporary structures with regard to the, to the worship and the sacrifice? Because the temporary structures were flawed. And the temporary structures were temporal. They weren't going to last. The author seems to know that. So the author goes one better. I'm not going to argue with you and, and unpack institutions because institutions ultimately fail. I'm going to go back to Scripture. I'm going to go back to God's word. I'm going to go back to the beginning when God set out with Moses to build this tabernacle as a place of worship. A tabernacle set up. In the first room, there were lampstands, a table, consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. And behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had a golden altar of incense, a gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. The Ark contained gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, stone tablets of the covenant. Above the Ark were the cherub of, cherubim of glory overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. Why even bring it up? Why even talk about it? It existed. It existed in the scripture. It existed at a temple form in their time. And to a certain sense, it exists today. We have sanctuaries all over this nation, all over the world. But sanctuaries, buildings, things are always going to fail. They are insufficient. If your hope is placed in things, even if it's a sanctuary or a cathedral, some place where you think that by going here, being in this space puts me in a right relationship with God, you don't, you, you're missing an important component of your faith. Now, the, the Bible does tell us that we should not forsake the assembly of others. But you remember what I said last week? That the covenant, this new covenant, this better covenant was made with the house of Israel, the house of Judah. And then the rest of the world was invited in. And it's individual because God now is writing his laws 
in our minds and on our hearts. When, when, when we used to do communion and we would pass out the, uh, pass out the elements, uh, uh, I would tell people to hold the bread until everyone was served. And then we would take the bread together, recognizing that we are one body in Christ. And then when the cup was passed, I, I, I would tell people, you take that cup and then you drink it when you're ready. As a reminder that individually we are grafted into this family of faith. It's a little bit paradoxical because I cannot accept God's gift on your behalf. I can only accept God's gifts on my behalf. But I can only live out and exercise those gifts and understand how those gifts function in community. But community has to do with the people with whom we worship. It is not location specific. And as I'm thinking about this description, they would have known the description because they had the scriptures. So we were, uh, this may be a little irreverent, uh, have any of you seen the, uh, the TV program, Men in Kilts? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, on, it's on Showtime. It's, it's hysterical. Uh, how about Outlander? Anybody watch Outlander? Okay, a couple more hands. All right. Uh, it's, an, it's an interesting show. It's, it it kind of goes, I get, once it got soapy, I turned it off. Uh, uh, but it, it's based on a series of books and, uh, uh, and, and, and we were over, uh, we were watching uh, Men in Kilts, and, and, the, and, the, and the, the stars, uh, the, the, the two actors in Men in Kilts are characters in Outlander. And uh, we were going to watch it, but somebody there said, no, I don't want to watch that program. I don't want to see those, those people who play those, uh, those, those characters in, in Outlander because I have read the books. I don't want to see the, the, uh, the TV series. I don't want to see anything related to it because I have created in my mind an image of who those characters are, and I don't want anybody messing with it. And I, and I can't help but wonder uh, what the people thought about when they, when they read the description of the temple. I'm a little ADD, so you know when I when I start reading the stuff about the, the temple when it was when it's being built and, and all that intricate detail, my mind starts to wander. You know, I got to keep pulling myself back, and I and I try to visualize what it was, what that tabernacle looked like. I can only imagine, and and I'm sure that my imagination f will fall short. But then it dawned on me that. Only one-twelfth of the nation of Israel ever walked inside that temple into that holy place. You could read about how the people gathered all the stuff and put it together, but the actual tabernacle itself, or even the temple, the holy place, one-twelfth, only the Levites could go there. That left the other 11 tribes on the outside to just use their imagination. And then when you want to talk about the Holy of Holies, oh my gosh, that place was even more special. Only one person could go in there. 
And then only once a year. And I was reading about that and, uh, and, and this, this, this idea that when the, when, the, uh, uh, when the high priest went in to offer up that sacrifice for the, uh, for, the, for the people's sins that they did in ignorance, that, that the people literally would, would hold their breath because they didn't know whether or not that high priest was going to come out alive. So a lot depended upon the character of the high priest. They could only imagine what was in there. They could only imagine. But we don't have time to talk about those things in detail. Uh, that's what the passage tells us. So we'll move on. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests regularly entered that outer room, carrying on their ministry. But the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way to the most holy place had not yet been disclosed, as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. This is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts, the sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worship, worshiper. They were only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. When we read about the function of the priests, so much of the life of the nation depended upon these people. And how does that work, in our, how does that work out in, in our lives today? It, uh, in, 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 in the same way. You know, we go to church. We don't go to church. We are the church. We go to worship. And, 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 or, or, or we watch these, these uh, ministers on TV or we read their books. And, and what happens when, when, when somebody fails? I mean, we've seen it down through history where, where a, a religious leader will rise to great prominence and then come crashing down. I, I was devastated, devastated to hear about Ravi Zacharias uh, and, and what was disclosed after he had passed away. I, I, I've, he, he has grown... I've got books on my shelf written by this man. I've got, I've got CDs of his lectures. I have listened to them. I have memorized portions of them. His apologetics has deeply impacted my life. And when the revelation came out about the double life that he had lived, the organization that, that, that bore his name changed his name. His books were being pulled off of shelves. People were devastated. I was devastated. But my faith was not shaken. You know why? Because the messengers are always flawed. And sometimes we need to look beyond the messenger to, to deal with the message itself. Because you know who isn't flawed? Jesus Christ. And if your eyes are on anybody other than Jesus Christ, your faith is flawed as well. My feet are made of clay just like yours. Don't look too closely. If you have any questions, just ask my wife. She'll tell you. 
Again, all of this external stuff. What do we learn about God from all of this? God desires that, that we approach Him. God desires that we approach Him. But He's very particular in how we make that approach. Because always there is this uh, tension between this moral and ethical platform and our own sinfulness. And we struggle, even to this day, we struggle with that area of, of, of our lives. We struggle with sin and submission. We don't want to acknowledge the former or do the latter. In fact, this whole sin thing, you know what, Pastor? Let's, let's just, can't we, can't, we, can't we figure this out and talk about it in another way? People don't want to say, I, I, I'm, I'm struggling with sin in my life. They say, well, you know, uh, I'm, I'm weak. I'm just, I, I'm not, I'm not God. I'm not perfect. I'm weak. And, and so they kind of use that as an, as an excuse not to deal with the issues that are going on in their lives. Or, 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 or they'll, they'll say, well, no, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a sickness. It's an illness. And, and so they justify it that way. Or sometimes they'll even say, well, you know what? It's a societal issue. If you, you, you don't, you don't walk in my shoes. If you, if you knew what has happened to me, then you would be a little more gracious to me. You know, it's not my fault. I'm a victim in all of this. And of course, that's the, that's the mantra of the day. No, nobody, everybody's a victim. Or, 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 or the other one is, oh, come on, pastor. The only, the only sin there is today is to tell people that they're sin. Can't you come up with another word? Can't we, can't we just kind of move beyond that and, and, and come up with a new framework in order to, you know, just kind of get along? And Because doesn't God love everybody? Yeah, you know, God so loved the world. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. But that doesn't change the nature of who God is. It doesn't change his character. And it doesn't change his desires for us. And so I talked earlier about this, this, this idea, this new covenant, this better covenant that is, that is still built upon that moral and ethical framework is better, built on better promises because now it is not... Uh, uh, it, it's, it's not determined on the, on the, on the physical surroundings, whether, whether it be a, 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 a tabernacle with a, uh, with a lampstand and, 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 a, and, a, and, a, uh, and the Ark of the Covenant or, or a sanctuary that has a, a beautiful organ and a, and, a, and, a, and a piano and a nice stained glass window. Uh, it's, it's not dependent upon uh, a priest whom we hope is, uh, is, is, is an ethical and upright person that's not leading some kind of a, a, a double life or dependent upon a pastor or another religious figure or a book uh, uh, that, that somebody has written. It's Jesus, folks. It's Jesus. 
And, 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 and our responsibility, our part in all of this, is accepting personal responsibility. Personal responsibility. And, 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 and that's something that, that, that people are reluctant to do these days. It's so much easier to deflect uh, onto others, to deny uh, 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 or, or, or to claim victimhood. But at the end of the day, accepting that personal responsibility opens a way for us to enter into the very presence of God. Wrapped in a righteousness, not our own. And we talked about that when we worked our way through the book of Romans, that through Jesus Christ, God declared us to be righteous. That, again, is a forensic pronouncement. That's a, that, that's a legal pronouncement. When, when, the, when the judge says that you are not guilty and hits that gavel, it is over with. And the challenge is that we still have an accuser out there that wants to remind us of all the cruddy stuff that we've done. And I find it interesting in here that the author says that all of this stuff, all of this stuff, the, the surroundings, the, 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 the priests, the sacrifices, all this stuff, we're not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. Anybody here ever struggle with a guilty conscience? Yeah. What's with that? We're not able to deal with it on our own. We can't. If it were left up to us, we'd still be back in the first covenant. Going over and over that, that groundhog day where we're, we're repeating the same thing over and over with no way out. But Jesus gives us a way out. And it's not about stuff. And it's not about people. It's about a new covenant, a better covenant that's now written on our hearts and our minds. What does the Lord require of us? Micah 6, 8. To be just people who love mercy and walk humbly with God. No, it's not about being perfect. It's not about being sinless. But it is about sinning less because the Holy Spirit is at work within us, transforming our lives into that image of Jesus. So what do we strive for? We strive to live within that moral and ethical platform that God has given to us. And then we extend grace to everybody else. God has an agenda for my life. He has an agenda for your life. I doubt they're the same except to draw us closer to Him. So if we, looked, if we looked at the church as a big circle, and we're all around that circle, how many degrees in a circle? 360 degrees. And in the center of that circle is Jesus. And our track is toward the center. So somebody that's coming from this direction is dealing with different issues than somebody coming from this direction. So what right do I have to look at this person when I'm over here saying, I can't believe you're struggling with that, and this person says to me, well, I can't believe you're struggling with that. I need to struggle with me and God's agenda for me as I work toward the center. 
And it is as we all move ourselves toward the center, as we all become more and more like Christ, we also find ourselves growing closer and closer together. To be a just person, according to the moral and ethical platform that God has given to us. And then to love everybody else and be merciful. It doesn't mean that I, that I condone everything that, that, that people do. I don't understand what some people do. I, to be honest, there's sometimes I don't understand what I do. You know that, you know that line? This was really popular uh, a, a few years ago. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Remember that? And some people have talked about how hard that is. And I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, no, no, no. <laughs> don't be silly. You do it all the time to yourself to be just people who love mercy and walk humbly with God. And this is what I want you to take away today. Accept accept personal responsibility for your life and the choices and the decisions that you make. And then enter into that relationship with God with humility. Because we are all works in progress. And we need to walk with people rather than stand on issues, trusting that God is working out his agenda in our lives as together we live in his kingdom. It's not about the building. It's not about the leadership. It's about the community of faith that comes together around the person of Jesus to whom we have direct access. And that, my friends, is good news. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. When it comes to worship, I, I have in mind uh, this, this idea of uh, joyful brokenheartedness. Joyful brokenheartedness. Brokenhearted because I know I'm not yet who God created me to be. A joyful heart knowing that that brokenness has been dealt with on the cross. And there is nothing that can ever separate me from the love of God that is mine in Christ Jesus. How different from that aspect of the first covenant that repeated over and over and over with that element of just not knowing who it was that was representing you in the presence of God. We now know through the person of Jesus Christ, that perfect human being who brings us into the very presence of God, punched through that second curtain and brings us into the sanctuary and the presence of God that is not defined by walls, by institutions, or even leaders. Let us together focus on Jesus Christ And through prayer, reading scripture, and engaging in in soul exercises, invite that Holy Spirit to continue that work of transformation. Because how does the world see the love of God if not through the love of his people?